Today on the podcast, we will be pondering the questions that follow a few of the more open-ended stories within the Genesis narrative. The thing that we need to keep in mind today while we're listening is that the Hebrew authors left things vague on purpose. The audience is expected to wrestle with the questions that arise from the text, for this is Jewish meditation literature. We won't have time in today's jam-packed episode to unpack all of what it is that I would like to talk about. So I would like to direct you to a few podcasts by The Bible Project um, that, that cover this sort of thing. Those would be episodes 27, which is titled The Bible as Divine Literary Art, and episode 53, Why Isn't There More Detail in the Bible Stories? Those are fantastic resources that I think can open up intrigue and understanding within your own Bible reading. And... Um, And just go into detail about things that today we didn't have time to go over, but I think are really important and can be nice supplements to what we talk about today. Awesome. Um, Now, on to the podcast. And good morning. Wow. We haven't done this since last year. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Hope you're doing well. David, how are you feeling? New year, new you. Yeah, you know, it's, it's nice to, to meet you again because yes. you know this is a new me. So, my name's Hello. David. Hayden, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. Um, yeah, man, off to a good start. You know, it was crazy in here yesterday. Yeah, and David had like what felt like five hundred customers. <laughs> yeah, just like nonstop. It was like a party. Yeah, it was awesome. I love to see that. Well, um, we're back on the show today. It's been like a week and a half. It has. Maybe even two weeks. I don't know. It might, yeah, it might be almost two weeks, because mm. today's Friday already. Yeah, I missed it. Yeah, I missed it too, man. I enjoy talking about this stuff. Yeah, I, I did enjoy the time it took to actually put this episode together instead of... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, it's easier for me, because I just show up. You have to, like, put in the work to do all the notes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't present you. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so today we're, uh, we're going to be talking about Cain and Abel. Awesome. Um, also Lamech, and also a little bit of Noah, and also a little bit of the Nephilim. Is this all in chapter four? Uh, no, we're actually going to be covering multiple chapters today. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so... Surprise, uh, surprise. If we kept this one chapter pace, I think we would literally be done with everything in like 20 years. That's true, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of chapters. <laughs> yeah, so uh, where has your mind been on the Cain and Abel story your whole life? What's kind of been your takeaway? Hmm. Yeah, what have that's you, interesting. Have you thought about it much, or is it just a story that you knew? I haven't thought about it much recently, to be honest. But uh, I'll tell you kind of how I remember it growing up. I might may even have, like, details wrong, but this is kind of what I took away from it. So, you know, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And yep. basically the idea was that one was good and one was bad. Like, Cain was bad, Abel was good, and it showed in the offerings that they brought to God. Mm-hmm. Um, each one had brought offerings to Yahweh. And I think, so Abel, he was um, more of like a mild man. So Cain was like a hunter. And Cain like killed animals. Uh-huh. So Cain brought a dead animal. And Abel, I don't, I think the vibe I got from him was he was more like mild. He didn't do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he brought like fruits and vegetables, I want to say. And God was like, this is a great offering, thank you. But then to Cain, it was like, oh, this is a terrible offering. And then Cain got mad, and Cain killed Abel. And I can't say that there was, like, much 
of a significant takeaway from mm. the story, like for my life, other than just those facts. Yeah, yeah, I was the same way. I didn't think about it much. It was just another Sunday school story that yeah. I knew. It's just a story. Really. Yeah. Then we're gonna get into genealogies. Nice. Um, are you usually somebody who skips over the genealogies when you read? You, uh, you can be honest. Usually, but when I made the like. When I had the intention of like, okay, I'm gonna read this book and like read through it, then I would like read all the names one by one. You know? <laughs> but uh, now it's like, okay, I'll just skip over this. <laughs> like like Matthew, uh, maybe skip the genealogy. Mm. Maybe I'll change your mind on why I think they're awesome and I think they're important. Maybe you will. Um, and then we're going to get into Nephilim, which I know David has gone down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. I spent um, a lot more time thinking about the Nephilim than I have Cam Abel. Yeah. So uh, that's all coming up. Um, so now we're going to go to our segment that uh, was perhaps one of my favorites. It's David's three-minute abbreviated recap of everything so far. Are you ready? I'm nervous. Let's do it. Yeah, let's see how much cobwebs you got to shake out. Yeah. And you are on the clock. Okay, so we started off with Genesis 1, and it starts off with just um, God or Elohim. Mm-hmm. So maybe multiple divine beings going on here. And basically uh, Elohim says, um, let's make something. So first, like, the heavens and the earth are made, so God space and human space. Um, and it's formless, but not that it's like evil or chaos just like this neutral kind of disorder mm-hmm. but then we see that God forms something uh, beautiful and functional and it's kind of like a reflection of who God is we don't get all the like details on that but this space that God creates is like a reflection of God so it's like a temple and then within the temple God places a human being and that is supposed to be like the image bearer of God to basically uh, be like a priest and reflect God's character throughout the entire earth and be like the mediator of God to the earth. But then things go wrong um, because in chapter 2 we get the story of Adam and Eve mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of people have heard where they eat the apple. Well, I'm sorry, see, even I said apple. It's uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and that for some reason that's not entirely clear but when they gain that knowledge it causes them like shame and to feel separated from god and to bring death because they're no longer connected to their life source Mm -hmm. of god and so then to protect the humans god kicks them out of the garden because he doesn't want them to live forever in this state of like not knowing who they really are and they are cast out and there's this whole thing about well, life's going to be harder for you now because you have to, like, work the ground, blah, blah, blah. And the character that we were introduced to, um, the serpent, we know that the serpent is bad. We don't know exactly what's going on there, but there's just, like, a hint of what's to come because we get this promise that from the line of the woman is going to come one who's going to overcome the, the serpent, mm. which kind of represents just, like, darkness in general. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that brings us here. Yep, that's uh, we're right at the doorstep. So All right. high five! Thank you, sir. That was two minutes and twenty seconds. Oh, awesome! With time yep. to spare. Yep. So uh, congratulate my boy when you, um, whenever you see him. Yep. Bring me a donut. All right. This is Genesis chapter four. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, 
I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain was intimate with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain became the builder of a city, and he named the city Enoch after his son. Irad was born to Enoch. Irad fathered Mahujael. Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives for himself, one named Adah and the other named Zillah. Adah bore Jabal, and he was the father of the nomadic herdsmen. His brother was named Jubal. He was the father of all who played the lyre and the flute. Zillah bore Tubal-Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words, for I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech it will be seventy-seven times. Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another child in the place of Abel, since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So David, did reading that in one sitting and keeping in mind everything we've talked about so far, has that changed kind of your view of Cain and Abel just in that one? Yeah, I mean, it definitely adds more context to have gone through, you know, one, two, and three and talked about it um, to now go into it instead of just kind of this Sunday school story that's removed, which I also had the details all wrong in the story. (laughs) But we're going to keep it anyway. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, you know, I think you had the sacrifices backwards, right? I did, yeah. Yeah. And but but like for some reason, it kind of went along with this image I had in my head of like Cain being this like rough dude, you uh-huh. know, and, like Abel being this more like mild dude. Which like I either made that up or I saw it on a felt board or something, you know. But um, anyways, 
yeah, it's just interesting that it kind of like out of nowhere for for us, like reading the story, especially being so far removed from the culture, it's like, wait, they're bringing sacrifices to him? Like, why? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm assuming that at the time, like, that was a very common practice and it kind of would have made sense to the people who were reading this story, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's... Um... Sacrifice is not just atonement, but sacrifice was a form of worship. Um, and so that was Cain and Abel doing just what they felt was natural to the creator. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason. And then I, I'm, I'm just like stuck wondering why, like why was the one not a good offering? We're going to talk about that. So you have an answer for him? Uh, so, so here's the thing about the Cain and Abel story that's really interesting and, um, you weren't there, but I recorded a little like pre-introduction for this episode because we're just not going to have time to get into it. But the concept of especially the Cain and Abel story being part of Jewish meditation literature. And so um, the authors are being vague on purpose because they want us to wrestle with questions and to kind of look between the lines. But also realize that the important stuff is the stuff that is presented to us. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Like it's something to sit with and chew over. They're not trying to say this is what happened and here's the explanation why Mm -hmm. but it's like here's what happened now what do you think about it yeah I don't even know if Cain knew why God didn't like his sacrifice that much yeah so yeah so uh, I've already given the episode list of the Bible Project episodes that kind of talk about this Um, so that's kind of what we're running with as well I can explain that to you more off camera if you want me to yeah all right, so um, a couple of things. Um, so um, one of the things that we got to remember is that um, whether you're working from a standpoint of these being actual events or um, stories that tell truth, um, we're working with archetypes, right? So if they're real people, and I think they were, I think there were real people. I really think there were really people in the garden. I do think Cain and Abel were real people. They just wouldn't have the same names that the Hebrew authors gave them. Does that make sense? Because it wouldn't, they wouldn't have spoken Hebrew. They wouldn't have spoken Hebrew, right? Yeah. So while they can be real people, they can also be archetypes. And it's really interesting, um, the naming of Cain and Abel. And we're going to talk about Abel a lot more up front before we get into Cain. Now, um, David, are you... Uh, are you familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes? Yeah, somewhat. Somewhat? Yeah, I've, I've read... I mean, I've read it at some point. But <laughs> I read some of it recently. Yeah. Um, so the word that really is the theme point of Ecclesiastes is the word havel. Mm. All is ha- havel. All is havel. So havel... I learned about that from the Bible Project video mm-hmm. on it. Havel is a really interesting term. And... Our English translations just have a hard time translating it. So I, I mean, have. That's a nice way of saying that they really don't do it justice at all, and they translate it pretty poorly. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've got my text comparison pulled up, and I'm just going to have David read verse 2 okay. and five different translations. All right, here we go. Do you want me to say what they are or just read them? Uh, you can I, if you want actually, to. Actually, yeah, I probably don't know what they stand for. Okay. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. So two in a room. <laughs> Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. 
Perfectly pointless, says the teacher. Perfectly pointless, everything is pointless. Oh, smoke, nothing but smoke. That's what the quester says. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. The message coming in strong. I like that. Yeah, I don't hate the message actually, but that's a conversation okay. for another time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so like they were taking the word "havel" and they used things like "vanity," which I don't think we ever use that in our common English vernacular anymore. No, I think of like I think of the the table with the w- big mirror with the big mirror that you know girls do their makeup at vanities. Yeah, and then futile. That's uh, that's not really a common word. The situation is so futile. <laughs> yeah, nobody says that. <laughs> <laughs> and and then there was pointless, and then there was smoke. Yeah, yeah Havel had this um, meaning of vapor smoke, and Ecclesiastes is always talking about trying to grasp it. Mm-hmm. You're trying to grasp Hasbel, ha- uh, Havel. It looks, you can see it. It takes up space, but then when you try to grasp it, it just like it just like slips through your hands. Like slips through your fingers. It's like really flimsy. Now here's the other kicker, is that our English word cable or our cable. I just <laughs> combine them. Let me rewind. We do able is the Hebrew word havel. It's literally the same word. It's literally the same word. That's so wild, but we translated it. Or we transliterated it into English mm-hmm. as a name. Yeah. yeah. So what are your what are your thoughts taking you with that? If his name is Havel, they don't just name people to name people in the no. Bible. No, they don't. And I feel like I was like shocked to hear that. I feel like I've been like tricked my whole life. Like somebody's been <laughs> keeping the secret from me. Like Abel's name is Havel, which is the same word in Ecclesiastes for smoke. Because I feel like there's something to why he has that name. And so now it gives me like some food for thought and to chew on. And you probably have some thoughts that you have already worked on. Well, yeah, it's it's the, it's just the whole concept of the Hebrew authors assigning meaning to a real person who probably didn't have a Hebrew name. Of like, we've got this character, and he's gonna seem real firm, and like we've just planted him in the story. But like, like vapor, he's gonna be gone the minute yeah. we try to like understand who. And he that is. kind of goes along with some of the stuff the guy talks about in Ecclesiastes, where it's like you try to grasp and understand life and like add some kind of like predictability to it Mm -hmm. like how you read in like proverbs where it's like if you do this good things will happen Uh, but then like sometimes like life just takes a turn that you don't expect and like things happen and in this story of god redeeming the the world you're probably thinking okay adam and eve messed up but they have some sons and now like they're They're gonna carry the they're gonna carry it on right but then like nope plot twist (laughs) like abel's dead Mm mm-hmm yeah, and so Abel is the hunter uh, or, or shepherd. The the Hebrew makes it seem he's more like a shepherd than a hunter. Okay. Um, so he keeps flocks, and that's half of his father's priestly role is to look after the livestock yeah. of the world. Cain's name is a little more ambiguous, though a lot of scholars look at the name Tubal Cain that came later in the chapter, and they saw that he was like an iron worker and worked with metal, and they think Cain might be some kind of wordplay on like metalworking okay but it's didn't seem as important as Abel's like significance of being Havel yeah and I like I don't know I don't feel like I'm that smart to like expand upon this for too long it's just a cool concept to think about of like hmm his name means vapor and then he's dead and like yeah I I feel like there there is something to that and then Cain works the ground um, and he's fulfilling the other half of his father's priestly duty 
I never even like noticed that that it is like two halves. One is with the livestock, the animals, the you know creatures, and one is with the fruit of the land. Yeah. So even in the exile, God has given Adam and Eve more helpers to perform their priestly duties, even if they're outside of the garden now. <clears throat> so I'm gonna go back to verse three, and we're gonna read three and four. It says, "In course, in the course of time." Excuse me. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offspring and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Yeah, so I know growing up for me, the, the common answer I got, I would ask this question in Sunday school, of like, why, why was Cain's sacrifice not yeah. accepted? And I always heard, well, it's because it wasn't an animal. Yeah. I don't know, have you ever thought about that, too? Yeah, I definitely have thought about that and, like, heard the same thing. But it doesn't really make sense to me. And maybe it's just something that I'm not understanding about the culture of sacrifice. Well, I mean, even if you, when we get to Leviticus, we're going to see that grain offerings are a perfectly acceptable. Yeah offering altogether um, and I want you to read um, we're going to Psalm 50 okay. and I want you to read verses 7 through 15 right here All right. listen my people and I will speak I will testify against you Israel I am your God your God no I am God your God I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or for your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your household or male goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice a thank offering to God and pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in a day of trouble. I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Then we're going to jump to the next psalm, which is Psalm 51, which is one of my favorite songs. Um, read verses 14 through 17. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. So I guess the question is, is the material of the sacrifice in this situation what God's caring about right here? See, yeah, probably not if we're talking about, you know, the same God figure because I think Psalm speaks to some truth about it's not about the thing that you're offering to God, but it's about giving thanks to your creator that is like pleasing that loving relationship and so we're not given that context right in genesis but it makes sense that if we're talking about like the same god figure then yeah god wouldn't care if it was fruit or if it was um an animal that god's looking at the heart of cain the heart of mm-hmm. abel and there's something in the heart of cain that shows in, in his offering i guess mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't come right out and tell us, but I want you, real quick, David, to read verses 3 and 4. I want you to look at how different, look at the vocabulary used for Cain's offering and look at the vocabulary used for Abel's offering real quick. I noticed some of that, so I'll kind of highlight it as I read. In the course of time, 
Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. So yeah, Cain is kind of just like, oh yeah, he gave some of the land's produce. But then, I notice it also says some for Abel's because he didn't give all of the, the firstborn. But firstborn, like that's like the, the best usually, right? Yeah. And the fat portion, that's like the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and if we we're going back to sacrifice being worship, not just atonement, like this is like the heart of Cain and Abel are being shown through how they present their offerings to God yeah. here. And so it doesn't give us any reason why they're sacrificing. It doesn't tell us why, but it's just this is what they did. And Cain just kind of like whatever was lying around, he he brought yeah. to, to Yahweh. And then it seems that Abel took the time to say, no, these are my best. This is the creator God. This is what he yeah. is going to get from me. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And... Uh, I think the reaction of Cain is interesting because, like, uh, again, with this Jewish meditation literature, how do how do they know that God is looking at them favorably or not? Is it like do their what does Abel's livestock increase and Cain's mm. like land working like? It's actually get, probably the opposite. Get worse. Like we don't know, but we know that Cain is mad, and it's it's really interesting. He's mad and doesn't say anything. We'll be right back. Yeah. So Cain, he's angry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it says that in the Hebrew. Like, the word for angry is to become hot. I like that. That's cool because, yeah, that's kind of how you get when you get all, like, riled up. You feel, like, warm and hot. Yeah. And it never says he says anything to God, but God comes to Cain. Yeah, I really like the response that God gives to Cain. Yeah. Uh, why are you furious? And why are you despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And I, I, I do like it. It, it kind of feels like a, a dad pulling a son aside and being like, look, I know you're mad. But your response to this is going to be the important thing. Like, mm-hmm. what happened has happened. But I don't not like. I still love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, and it's like almost kind of like this casual. Like, of course, you should be doing what is right. Like, that's kind of like I feel like maybe the underlying nature of humanity to do what is right. Because you know, Cain clearly um, had something in his heart, right? So mm-hmm. even though he gave an offering for some reason, it wasn't right. And God's response is like, well, if you do what is right, like, you'll be accepted. So, like, why is that so weird to you that you're, like, that you're not accepted? Like, yeah. clearly you didn't do what is right. It's very, like, matter of fact, you know? Yeah. Hey. It's kind of like a situations where, like, your dad will say, like, I don't know, my dad always used to tell me this. The only person you should be mad at is yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's true. And then it, and then... God adds about, you know, if you don't do what is right, it's not like, well, 
I'm gonna be mad at you. It's sin is crouching at the door. There's this force that's trying to get you to not do what is right. And it's there like crouching at the door, this active like waiting to pounce on you. Yeah, and this is the first time that sin is ever mentioned in the Bible. Yeah. Yep, it's the Hebrew word hatat. And it's it's weird that it has this like personified like like predator. Yeah, like it says in the Hebrew, it's like it's like lying, ready to pounce at the entranceway of. So yeah, let's let's run with that concept for a second. Of in the Adam and Eve story, we kind of have this idea of original sin and that being the first sin, but the first time sin is actually given a name. Mm-hmm. Is in this Cain and Abel story. Yeah. And it's like this, it's personified as like this predator. But the vibe I'm kind of getting, I'm kind of getting is that it's like, it's this active force that's there, like waiting and ready to consume. Mm-hmm. And I guess it'd be like this force that needs to act through humans. So it's like waiting for humans to like give into it mm-hmm. but it, it's all tied into like if you do what is right won't you be accepted so it's like this is another thing where it just doesn't quite line up with kind of like our modern understanding of like total depravity and like, depravity means like inability to be good oh right right yeah and I mean total depravity is something that I don't really like vibe with anyways but yeah, it's that concept that the choice is being made here. Or, like, you are, like, Cain is given a choice. <laughs> yeah, Cain is given a choice, and he can do what is right. Um, and so just to clarify total depravity for people listening and for myself, it's this belief that what like, humans are unable to do anything good because they have just, like, a wicked nature. I think, yeah, that's how I would sum it up, okay. yeah. Yeah. But but from this story, what we're hearing is like, God is saying, well, just just do what is right, and it's kind of assumed that Cain has the ability to do like, what is right. It's like Cain's angry, and God's like, is anger really the right response to this yeah. right now? Like this is very fixable. So yeah, why? This is where we kind of get to just kind of talk for a little bit. Why do you think Cain is angry? Well, I think he's jealous because. You know, it's probably some sibling rivalry. It's his brother, and God accepts his brother's offering, and he doesn't accept Cain's. So maybe Cain's just like, what the heck? Like, I gave you something too. Like, you should be accepting. Like, he wants the acceptance. He wants the transaction. Mm-hmm. Like, I give you this, you give me acceptance. Cool. Yeah. You know, I've just realized that Cain never actually responds to God when God says this sentence. Oh. God tells him all this, and then Cain's just like said to his brother Abel, "Let's go out to the field." <laughs> it's like, whatever. Like, come on, Cain. Uh, come on, Abel. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go kill you. Yeah. So, okay. So here's another deeper question to ponder. Okay. So it says Cain said to his brother Abel, "Let's go out to the field." And while they're out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Do you think that Cain killed Abel because he couldn't kill God? Because it doesn't say he was mad at Abel, really. Right. Let's see. It's like he, if 
he may, he may have tried to kill God, like, if he could have, you know? Like, if God was just, like, another person there. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe he would have tried, but he couldn't. So it's like, okay, Abel, you're the next best thing. You found favor with God, so yeah. I'm going to take that away from you. Know? And there's probably some, like, anger towards the brother, you know, of, like... Not, not that Abel did anything wrong. Well, it's also like, hey, I'm the firstborn. I should be the one who's getting all the favor anyway. Yeah, thinking true. about the culture of the culture right. of the, the people the around. Was like you were the one that got the bigger mm-hmm. favor. Yeah. Although the second sign is gonna be a very big theme in this Genesis. Right, because that kind of ties in with the whole like even when Jesus comes onto the scene of there being like. Israel, and then there being the world, and this whole like the first son not getting the inheritance, but then the second. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, we see the pattern repeat itself from the beginning. From the beginning yeah. of because um, then God comes down and he said to Cain, "Where's your brother Abel?" And it's kind of like a rhetorical question, just like God did when he came into the garden of like, like "Where are you? Where are you?" Yeah. And Cain, like, Adam and Eve actually told the truth when God asked them why they did what they did. Yeah. So Cain is taking it a step further now. Cain's just, like, kind of just, like, shrugged his shoulders, like, am I supposed to know? Yeah, when it's, like, clearly he does know. (laughs) Yeah. And God says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So that's a really interesting concept to me. Yeah, yeah. The blood crying out from the ground. Well, there's this belief, right, in Hebrew thinking that the life is Was in the blood. blood. Yeah. It's so like that is like the, you like that's that's why you didn't eat blood when you killed animals. Because like that was that's the, like the nephesh of the person. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Like really, like you're. It's like that is your not that is your soul, but that's like the part of you that has this power that animates. Your your nephesh, mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting that the ground is crying out. The Adama, oh, is crying out. Interesting. And so there's this connection to creation of this disorder again. Of like creation itself feels this disorder from this murder. Right, and it's like the earth is not just a lifeless thing. It's like this active thing. <laughs> like, the, the earth is crying out. Mm-hmm. And he says, so now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood. You go shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield, and you'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. And so the ground that his father made hard to work became even harder to work. <laughs> it's just like poor farmers, man. They really got screwed over by these guys. I know. Man. And so the pattern repeats itself. Cain gets um, cast out. He's going to be a wanderer. And Cain's reaction after this is really interesting, though. He goes, My punishment is too great to bear since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth. And if I. And I must hide from your presence. God never tells him to hide from his presence. He goes, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. You're so welcome. You guys have a good one. Yeah, it's like he adds that part about hiding from the presence, which is what What we find Adam and Eve doing in the garden. They were hiding from the presence of God. But it's like it's not like God is telling them to hide. It's a human response to like 
to falling out of alignment with your relationship with your creator, right? It's like, yeah. I mean, I feel that yeah. urge a lot. I feel I'd that like, too. I've felt that in my life when when I when was, I sin, it's yeah. like you want to like you're just shamed and you're like you don't want to pray, you don't want to do any of that. You mm-hmm. just want to like <laughs> like there was a big time in my life, like a period of time where I was living definitely like out of alignment with God, and there was a moment after a long time where like that shifted and I remember the urge I was feeling inside of me was to like turn on some worship music right which I hadn't done for a long time and I was like resisting that I was like no I'm not going to do that and that was like in a sense like I was hiding from the presence of God I was just like I don't want to like look to God I don't want to like you know face the truth of the way I'm living my life but then I, I finally did I turned it on and it, it was like immediately it was like I felt the presence of God and I just remember seeing this picture in my mind of like Jesus just like welcoming me mm-hmm. and it was like it was like this moment of like I feel like I was just like confessing but then also just like pull, like taking this weight and just throwing it off like mm-hmm. in front of God you know and it was like okay I'm in the presence and I'm, and I'm loved um, all, all that to say it it definitely vibes with me this idea that we see in Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel where sin makes you feel like you have to hide from the presence of God because it's like you have to face the reality of the way that you're living and if you don't know Jesus and have like that grace then it's like too much to bear like like yeah. Cain says like Cain didn't have you know the understanding of like Christ that we have today uh-huh. so I can understand how it's like yeah it's just too much to bear yeah and then again we see echoes of the Israel story um, Israel's gonna also see oh I get it like exile like you you don't do what you're not supposed to do wait that's, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> you do what you're not supposed to do when you get yeah. removed from where you're at. Um, scholars have not talked about this. It's just something that's kind of running through my head. I always, I also wonder if like the split kingdom story, if the Israelites and the, if the, if the, if the kingdoms of Judah and Israel right. see their story in the Cain and Abel story. Mm. That is interesting. Yeah. I don't that's, have any evidence to back that up. That's just a. I thought that's run through my head. Yeah, and maybe we'll see more of that as we like go through and read those stories. Because I'm I'm not like too keen on like how that story goes down of like the split. And mm-hmm. that. So we'll maybe. get into it when we get into yeah. it. Um, yeah, alienated from the ground. Since you're banishing banishing me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence. Become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Again, there's other people around, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, he's like so matter of fact. That like, whoever finds him is going to kill him. <laughs> it must have been pretty rough in those times, you know? Like, well, I mean, like, yeah, but he, but he knows what killing is. Was there murder before that? Mm, that's interesting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. I feel like I may have had this story presented to me at some point in my life of like this being like the first time anybody was murdered. Yeah. Not that there's evidence one way yeah. or the other, but just like it's interesting that you brought that up that he has this idea that people are going to kill him. Or, I mean, it could be that he's like, oh, I've, what I've done to Abel, others are going to want to have justice and yeah. apply it to me. Um, so then here's the, here's the one that's interesting and has had a horrible history is in verse 15. And then God said, 
to him. In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. I know you've probably heard of the mark of Cain before. Yeah. What do you picture when you hear the mark of Cain? I don't know. I don't. I think it's. I think that's one of the more dangerous things of like. The, the author clearly didn't give us a specific. This is what to look for oh, to see the mark of Cain. For sure. No, but I'm just curious what the first thing that pops into your head when you hear mark of Cain. I don't know. I just. I think of it as like a blessing. Yeah. Of just like. Like protection. It's just protection because, I mean, you know the history of it, like. People throughout the years have used that to justify slavery, or they said oh, really? that like black skin was the mark of Cain, and anybody who has dark skin is oh, wow. Cain's descendant, and all these crazy things. Yeah, that's wild. And yeah, people can yeah. use that to justify anything they want to, and I don't think that's the point of the no. story. See, I, I just can't help but picture the um, the like Harry Potter lightning symbol on the forehead. Mm. <laughs> and I hear Mark. I just pictured him putting like a like a lightning mark on Cain. Yeah. Yeah, and the point of the mark is that God is not abandoning Cain here. Yeah, because it's even like he puts a curse on whoever would kill Cain. Mm-hmm. That it's like... That's interesting. I'm just like thinking on this. Like, what does that even mean? Like, Well, God's purpose to bring order was through the line of Adam and Eve, right? And so, regardless of the messing up, his plan is still going to go forward with that. But it just seems odd that it's like, I mean, I feel like that isn't, if God is saying that it's like a curse, like, okay, Cain did this bad thing and now he's punished. But if, if anybody kills him, your vengeance is going to be seven times worse than my punishment to Cain. Is that what is being said? I guess. I don't know. Because it almost doesn't even align with like the Hebrew laws of like eye for an eye, right? Where it was like, okay, if, if you steal somebody's goat they get to steal something from you it's like an even trade you know mm-hmm. so like i don't know man this is pre-law uh-huh. yeah it's it's interesting to think about and then when we get into lamech with like him saying you know 70 times seven maybe it's like a figure of speech too because it has that number seven mm-hmm. like 70 times seven yeah and so um he goes out into the land of nod which in hebrew just means no man's land Oh, really? Yeah. Just, it's like wandering or no man's land or like nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes to nowhere. Yeah, just. East of Eden, he wanders. Um, he gives birth to Enoch, and Cain becomes the builder of the first city in the biblical narrative. Um, and so we kind of see this line of Cain. Cain has Enoch. Enoch has Irad. Irad has Mahujael. Mahujael has Methuselah. Methuselah has Lamech. Is there any like significance to those names that we should know? Or? I didn't do my homework on that. I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure they have some meaning somewhere. Yeah. Um, but seeing all this creation, like you see, like he was the father of all who play instruments, and he is the father of all who herd sheep, and he is the father of all metal workings. I think Israel's supposed to say something else in this story. Um, so Israel, at the time of the exile, would have been surrounded by cultures with technological achievements that surpassed their own. And um, 
just fast forward, Israel is not from Cain's line. It's going to be from Seth, so he's born later. Okay, so this is kind of like an explanation as to why these other cultures have other technologies. And Potentially, yeah. Um, and we're going to be reminded that this does not make life better. Because okay. let's look at Lamech. So they've they've done all this stuff. Lamech is a character, man. He's not in too much, but just to read this again. Lamech took two wives for himself, one named Ada and the other named Zillah. So he's the first polygamist. And it's it's really interesting. So this um when it's talking about Adam marrying Eve and Cain taking his wife, it the Hebrew just says his woman. Okay. When Lamech takes two wives for himself, it's when he takes his property for himself. Okay. Which, that's a really interesting concept of, like, we're starting to see sin really do its worst and and look at this as, like, Lamech's, like, this is not my equal human being. This is my property now. No, because, yeah, because it says, like, Adam was intimate, Cain was intimate, and then Lamech took two wives. Mm-hmm. And Ada bore um, Jabal, and he was the father of all nomadic herdsmen. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all who played the lyre and the flute. And the lyre is like the ancestor of the guitar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Zillah bore Tubal Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. Tubal Cain's sister was Naam. Um, and then we get the first. Explicit bit of Hebrew poetry here. Mm-hmm. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words. So it's almost like a threat. For I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech, it will be 77 times. Kind of like bragging. Yeah, it's like this little runt tried to hurt me, and then I just killed him yeah and it's like <laughs> no like he doesn't care about being in the presence of god or and like there's that's no, not even the question no it's just so because like, like adam and eve were ashamed right. cain was ashamed lamech is like beating his chest yeah, he's and like, like oh cain is gonna be avenged seven times because you know god whatever like well i'm gonna be avenged 77 times i'm that much better than cain yeah yeah like bragging about it yeah um and the poem is supposed to represent a low point in the story like you said, Lamech has no hint of shame. He's singing a song of like celebration, of like beating his chest, of killing a younger man who was likely much weaker. And he thinks God doesn't care because he's Cain's descendant. So he thinks he's got the mark of Cain, and this gives him the ability to do whatever. Oh, interesting. It so feels like because God, there was this like, okay, I put this mark on Cain so nobody can touch him. Yeah. So Lamech's like, oh, well, that's my descendant. I'm from that line, so I got that mark, too. Nobody can touch me. Mm -hmm. And it's like sin. Like God said that sin is like crouching the door to devour you. It's like sin is feasting now, and it's getting stronger and stronger. Um, Yeah. And, And we see that... I think we see that today of, like, we live in a culture that just glorifies violence. Yep. And we also see it in, like, um which we'll get here on the podcast when we do the book of John that we've been doing with our group. Like, we, we talked about this in group, how throughout the narrative of John, when Jesus comes on the scene, it's like sin gets progressively angrier and angrier until ultimately the crucifixion is like this high point where sin is just like, you know, dominating. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. So this is what I mean by Jewish meditation literature. Like, you can look at this 
and your wheels start spinning in your brain of like all these things that are going through your mind and you're like I don't know quite how I want to yeah. <laughs> put this because Lamech takes up like five verses mm-hmm. and we think about that a lot and so I, I think we're just seeing that all this technology, human advancement, does not necessarily mean better human relations or better lifestyle. Right. And I think we can see that in our modern world of like looking through the history of the Enlightenment of people thinking humans are advancing at such a fast rate and we're becoming morally better and we're doing all these things. Like utopian society is just waiting around the corner from, at the next technological advancement. And every time we've used that to find more ways to massively kill large amounts of yeah, people. <laughs> that's what I'm wondering. Like, I feel like you see such a correlation if you mapped it out. Like, techno- techno- technological advancements yeah. versus, like, the number of people killed every year. Like, it's probably have been on a steady increase throughout history. Mm-hmm. Tolkien talks about that in his Lord of the Rings trilogy about, like... Um, and his stories, machines were not in existence until the orcs started using them to find ways to like kill larger amounts of oh, interesting. people. It was the orcs that created machines. Uh huh. Yeah, I don't know if that's the point of what they're trying to say here. These are just my observations mm-hmm. on like, yeah. Huh. So Lamech, he he loves violence. And that is the line of Cain, and that's the line of where humans are going now. They're no longer shamed, but they're... And I feel like the Israelites would have seen stories of that around all these other cultures. If you think of these, like, warrior kings that, like... You know, the stories, like, with a, with a sword, he slew, like, 5,000 men. Yeah, yeah. And even Israel will get in on it later. It's... Hmm. And, it's and we're also kind of seeing this... How we've been set up already for this narrative, but it's continuing, like, by through the genealogies of two sons, um, the good versus bad, or the, you know, uh, the force of God versus the force of sin. Like, you're, you're seeing that personified in these people. Mm-hmm. So, like, you see Cain's line, and we're gonna see Seth's line, mm-hmm. and we're gonna show how there's this cosmic struggle that is playing out in through real people in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so then, like, all looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket, in a, in a way. Um, but then it says, Adam is intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and his name was Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of Yahweh. Hmm interesting yeah like they started that there's something key going on there that, that, that they put that in there that people begin to call on the name of Yahweh what do you think no oh, it's almost like this is just me speculating of Adam and Eve and Cain and all these other people having a sense of the presence of Yahweh but not really knowing much about him. Not like, because it's not like they're living in the garden anymore. Yeah. Or it's like daily walks with Yahweh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But then 
It's it kind of is showing, okay, there's this intimacy that's building back between Yahweh and humanity. Mm-hmm. Because now it's a name, to, it's a name, they're like on a name basis, first name basis. Yeah. Awesome. So let's see what happens with Seth's line. All right. We're going to do that next. Genesis 5. This is the document containing the family records of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. When they were created, he blessed them and called them mankind. Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness according to his image and named him Seth. Adam lived 800 years after he fathered Seth and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Adam's life lasted 930 years, then he died. Seth was 105 years old when he fathered Enosh. Seth lived 807 years after he fathered Enosh and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Seth's life lasted 912 years, then he died. Enosh was 90 years old when he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived 815 years after he fathered Kenan and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Enosh's life lasted 905 years, then he died. Kenan was 70 years old when he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived 840 years after he fathered Mahalalel and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Kenan's life lasted 910 years, then he died. Mahalalel was 65 years old when he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived 830 years after he fathered Jared, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Mahalalel's life lasted 895 years, then he died. Jared was 162 years old when he fathered Enoch. Jared lived 800 years after he fathered Enoch, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Jared's life lasted 962 years, then he died. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was not there because God took him. Methuselah was 187 years old when he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived 782 years after he fathered Lamech and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Methuselah's life lasted 969 years, then he died. Lamech was 182 years when he fathered his son, and he named him Noah, saying, This one will bring us relief from the agonizing labor of our hands, caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Lamech lived 595 years after he fathered Noah, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Lamech's life lasted 777 years, then he died. Noah was 500 years old, and he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right, change my own genealogies yet? A <laughs> little bit. It was interesting to read um, what we just read through and how it was showing. Okay, so God made man in God's image and likeness, and then with Adam and echoed that, saying, "So Adam had other sons, right? But Seth is the one where it's in his likeness, uh, according to his image." And uh, that kind of caught my eye this time around. Like, oh, so, like there's something special going on here with Seth that, like, we're gonna see play out in a story probably. Mm. Mm. But um, still, a lot of names, a lot of reading, a lot of numbers. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Like, <laughs> my, my my throat was getting dry. Yeah, I saw you get excited when you you might have forgot already, but maybe 
verse 29 when he said, and he named him Noah, saying, This one will bring us relief from the agonizing labor of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. I probably did get excited by that. I got excited by it now just hearing it. Why is that? Because um, this is like what the whole story of the Bible is, right? It's about this problem and then the solution that is coming. And we see it play out on smaller scales, like throughout the stories. And like here's gonna be one of those small times where like Noah is an image of Christ, well, not an image, but a type of Christ, offering some kind of relief. And we will be back. So, um, genealogies are kind of the the one continual thread through the book of Genesis and it's even in the name Genesis and it's interesting the way that this started saying this is the document that cre- that you know has the genealogy of Adam mm-hmm. and uh, you know we were we've been talking about how Genesis was put together and probably compiled well it was compiled at a, what like 70 BC I do not have a plastic bag sorry should we keep that in there? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do not have a plastic bag. Um, okay, so chapter five started out with this is the document containing the family records of Adam. And uh, something that I learned when like researching this back in the day was that um, they would have like tablets, like families would have tablets with the genealogies written out as a way to like keep track of where the family came from and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like there would be literal like a document, like a, a clay tablet that would be like, hey, this is the genealogy of this person. Mm-hmm. And so what they're doing in Genesis 5 is like what was common of the cultures of that time. Like, All right, mm-hmm. this is the, the document that contains um, Adam's family record. And it goes on to like list all the people. Mm-hmm. And then we go into a story about the characters. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, the genealogies are what make the Bible an epic of like, starts with these characters and you can trace that family line all the way to Jesus. Right. It's like a continuous narrative with some stories in between. Like Job. It's not really but it's like yeah, but it's like it's a continuous story. Yeah. Um and so um this is where we're watching the anticipated conflict between the serpent's descendants and the woman's offspring really start to to take shape. Um and so people this is the most unique genealogy out of all of them because of the really long lives and like what do you think about that does that bother you does it I can't imagine living that long dude it's like a <laughs> long time I'm 20 what 6 I just turned yep. and I'm like getting tired of things that used to not make me tired I can't imagine being 912 years old yeah you'd probably be a cranky um, old man at yeah. that point but I, I see what you're asking about does it bother me like about Okay, like, do these people really live that long? That kind of thing. Yeah. I think probably not. I don't think people used to live that long. I don't think there's any evidence in the earth that people live that long. Um, I don't have a problem with thinking that. What What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, these ages are actually really tame to the genealogies of the time that were of the same Oh, really? Time period. Like, from other cultures? Oh, yeah. I mean, they had people living, like, tens of thousands <laughs> of years. So this is actually really, like... Mild. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a polemic of, like, yeah, these are long, but this is the only line that really talks about death at all. 
about like mentioning when the person dies. Yeah, so we've set up the conflict of you eat from the tree of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, you will be doomed to die. And so Adam lives all the way to being 930. Yeah. But even at 930, death comes. Seth lives 912 years. Yeah, okay. But then even after those 912 years... Death comes. Death comes. And it's a, a result of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the only one that consistently names ages of fatherhood. Um, ages don't really matter. Death that follows. Let's talk about Enoch for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, Enoch's an interesting character because we don't get anything about him well we get a sentence about him right yep. and then we know that there's these other people like expanded on his story uh, we, we don't have anything on him until like the second temple period yeah second temple period with the book of Enoch so and the book of Enoch was probably you know pulling off of other stories too I'm sure that were older much older we just don't have any of those mm-hmm. um, but it's interesting to like think about it like okay what's going on here something is going on yeah, Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. After he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was not there because God took him. And what's so, and we gotta remember that in the Hebrew, it's Enoch walked with Elohim, and then Elohim took him. Elohim being the plural. Let me make sure it's not Yahweh real quick. It's not. Yahweh is always uh, the Lord in capital letters. Okay. And uh, I've, I've read this verse too and like looked into it. So it's it's Elohim. Okay. And so like, are they saying he walked with Yahweh and Yahweh took him? Or are they talking about these other like spiritual beings? And you know, like we just don't know what they're talking about. But there's something special about Enoch. Like he's kind of a special human for some reason. Yep. But it's not important to the overall narrative of the Bible. Uh, other than the walking with God resulted in not using the same verb for death. Oh yeah, because God took him. It doesn't say that he died. He could have died. He could have. And it's just they're using a different word. Yeah. But um, he doesn't get the same treatment as the other people in the genealogy. Mm. So like, it's one of those people that you could like with Melchizedek or other people like you could rabbit hole these like theories about uh-huh. like who, what are they talking about what's going on here he walked with God what does that mean um, and which is like fun to do cool but like uh, for the purposes of like understanding the main heart of the Bible pointing to Jesus it doesn't matter yep and then comes Noah Noah's the only one Noah's the first son born since Seth where the parents make a comment on why they named him yeah. and what they named him. So Noah is actually the Hebrew word Noach. 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 Which means relief. Oh. Well, that makes sense. Why yeah. she says because this is the one that will bring us relief. Yeah. Again, probably a real person. Probably was not called Noah in Hebrew. Well, yeah, I guess if it was a person who was real... At this time, before Hebrew, the authors are giving him a name yeah. that gives his archetype. Yes, does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Like, if if this was a real person who lived around the time that this is talking about, before the Hebrew language, he would not have a Hebrew name. He would have some other name. But the authors gave him the, the name that means relief because they're talking about 
what this person is going to represent. Yeah, like represents. Yeah, so so we're watching this line, this God's promise of the line that's going to fight the snake is still being true, even even in the midst of death, even in the midst of Cain's side of the story and everything. Like the line is still continuing, and God's plan is still yep. going forward. Yep, and um, it's the way that they present it here is like how it's often presented. It's like okay, all these things happen, and then we zoom in on this one person. Like, but then here's this person that has a special role in God's plan. Let's zoom in on this story for a second while going through the whole yeah. ge- like genealogy. Yeah, so this genealogy is serving as kind of the link, um, the genealogical link from beginning to end. And so we're watching the threads of the story being weaved. Mm-hmm. And it's epic in the sense of it's large amounts of time are being covered right here. Yep. But yet we're still watching things happen. And it seems like the people are aware, at least in the story, that Lamech, Noah's father, is aware of the family history of, like, knowing what Adam did. Yeah, because they say... Because uh, you got to imagine that would kind of be, like, the, the folklore of, like, taking your son in your lap and saying, like, this is why life's so hard right now. Yeah. And let's, I'm going to try to real quick look and see according. Like, Adam would have met a few of his grandkids mm-hmm. quite a bit. So, like, you know, come here, grandson. Let me tell you about what happened in the garden. Mm-hmm. Just something to think about. Cool. Now we're going to wrap up with, uh, I think, is... So, most scholars put Genesis chapters 1 through 11 as kind of like the prologue to the entire biblical story. Mm-hmm. And they say that these four verses and six are the hinge point of that story. Okay, so we're coming right now to the middle of the introduction. We're yep, we are coming to the middle of the introduction of the Bible. And so something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. 6 is the hinge point and then we're going to see what goes from there. So just read um, chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. All right, I will do that. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever, because they are corrupt. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. Hmm. I want you to read that in a couple of other translations. Okay. So the first one's going to be from the Lexham English Bible. All right, read all four? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it happened that when humankind began to multiply on the face of the ground, daughters were born to them. Then the sons of God saw the daughters of humankind, that they were beautiful, and they took for themselves wives from all that they chose. And Yahweh said, My spirit shall not abide with humankind forever, in that he is also flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were upon the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went into the daughters of humankind, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty warriors that were from ancient times, men of renown. And then the Christian, or the common English Bible. When the number of people started to increase throughout the fertile land, daughters were born to them. The divine being saw how beautiful these human women were, so they married the ones they chose. The Lord said, 
My breath will not remain in humans forever because they are flesh. They will live 120 years. In those days, giants lived on the earth and also afterward, when divine beings and human daughters had sexual relations and gave birth to children. These were the ancient heroes, famous men. And then the message. When the human race began to increase with more and more daughters being born, the sons of God noticed that the daughters of men were beautiful. They looked them over and picked out wives for themselves. Then God said, I'm not going to breathe life into men and women endlessly. Eventually they're going to die. From now on, they can expect a lifespan of 120 years. This was back in the days, and also later, when there were giants in the land. The giants came from the union of the sons of God and the daughters of men. These were the mighty men of ancient lore, the famous ones. What a strange little four verses in the Bible. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, now we're getting, like, getting into weird stuff. Stuff where like... Some people fixate on nothing but this, and I think they missed the whole point of it. For sure, yeah. Um, and some people are probably like turned off by it, just being so out there and weird. Like this idea of, like how the one translation puts it, um, divine beings having sex with human women and giving birth to these like human Elohim hybrids that yeah. are like different. Yeah, let's think about that for a second. So. Um, Let's, let's use a story that people would be familiar with, at least in pop culture. Um, so think of Greek mythology. Uh-huh. We, have, we have our romanticized version of Greek mythology, which is super Disney-fied. And Hercules like, movie. Yeah, Hercules, Hercules is who we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Of like, but Greek religion was not very different than the religion of the Near East because the Mediterranean, they're right there. Yeah. They're sharing ideas with each other. You think of Hercules. Hercules is the offspring of a divine being, Zeus, and a human woman. And he was a mighty warrior. Right, yeah, yeah. And like a giant man. And Yeah, so he... Yeah, so it's not that far off from other cultures that we're familiar with, other stories. Sorry, we were just checking to see if somebody was coming <laughs> into the store or not. <laughs> but yeah, like, you think about that, and... That was the culture of, like, these mighty warriors, Achilles and the Iliad, yeah. was... I, I can't remember what god he was... He was I, I think remember. it was maybe Apollo or, or something along those lines. He was birthed through some kind of divine being, and Gilgamesh was the offspring of, divi- of a divine being. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. I, I think maybe where people get turned off here is because they're like, okay, I want the Bible to be true through and through literal mm-hmm. and then they get to this part and they're like wait a minute like did that really happen you know yeah well the story works on multiple levels I think of again what's the what's the what's what is the the story trying to convey here yeah and so you've got these divine council which maybe we can talk about a little bit right now sure yeah I didn't have anything written down for this I figured we could just kind of yeah Role, so so in the the cosmological structure, I mean, we've touched on this a little bit, but Elohim is plural. Yeah. You had Yahweh, which is B'nai Elohim, which is like the father, the father Elohim, and then you have the divine council, and you'll see that when we, especially get into the prophets or even in the book of Revelation, like you've got this throne room, and God is not alone in the throne room. Right. You've got other divine beings, not even what we would call quote unquote angels, like but a lot of different things. Right. 
So God has a council, like, let us go do this thing, let us make God in our image. Or make man in our image. Yeah, and so the the word used for the divine beings in Hebrew is B'nai Elohim, and there's similar things where some will say, like, um, B'ni Elim, or B'nai Ha Elohim. Okay. Um, in the Old Testament, and it's used in a couple of different instances. So in Job, verses 1, verse 6, it says, And it happened one day that the B'nai Elohim came to present themselves before Yahweh, and that the Satan also came in their midst. Job 2, 1, And on that day the B'nai Elohim came to present themselves before Yahweh, uh, and then, again, again, Satan also came in their midst to present himself. Job 38, 7. When the morning stars were singing together, all the B'nai Ha Elohim shouted for joy. Psalm 89, 6. For who in the sky is equal to Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh among the B'nai Elohim? Psalm 82, 6. And we talked about Psalm 82. I've said to you... You are Elohim, and you are B'nai Elohim of the Most High, all of you. Yeah. So the authors, I think, are thinking of at least whether you can sense the presence of it or not. Like, divine beings are messing with things that they shouldn't be right. messing with. And so not only do we have this, like, chaos creature, the snake, but now even people of God's own counsel or divine beings, Elohim, are also starting to rebel and, yep. and act autonomously apart from Yahweh. Right. And so, like we've touched on, there's this behind-the-scenes struggle, conflict between, I guess you could basically say good and evil, mm-hmm. that is happening among, like, divine beings that are... They don't live in this realm. We don't see what they do. There's something going on, but it plays out in humanity. And uh, the way it plays out here, they say that some divine beings saw that women were attractive, so uh, they got them pregnant, took mm-hmm. them as, as wives. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't get the nitty-gritty yeah. of what that means. Like, but And then if you're on the side that is kind of squeamish about this kind of thing, you could also think of it in the terms of the, the kings of the surrounding cultures would all basically divinize themselves, and they would say, like... The king of Babylon is the son of Marduk, or or the king of this Canaanite city is the son of Baal or El, or um, Egypt. The pharaoh is the son of Horus or the son of or Horus personified. Right. Whatever it is, so you get a lot of that. Um, you get a lot of that as well. So I think it's working on two levels. So I think the authors are addressing that kings are saying this, mm-hmm. but there's also a darker spiritual element behind those claims. Yeah, so when you're in this culture where that's happening and these kings are saying that, it's also saying, like, this is not good. Yeah. So, like, don't, don't follow these kings. Don't worship them. Like, this is the result of a rebellion. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you don't look at it like... Uh, if you have, if you struggle with saying like, okay, did divine beings really get these women pregnant? You have to look at the spiritual meaning of like, there's the power of sin that is uh, 
that, that exists and it enters into the hearts of people as well. So whether or not it's like physical or spiritual, the point of this is to say that, uh, especially within the context of the culture, there's people out there that are worshiping other gods, saying that they're sons of God, but it's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. And so, like, we will only see the word Nephilim one more time. That's going to be in the book of Numbers. Can't wait. Um, but Nephilim is from the root Hebrew word that means to fall. Interesting. So fallen beings. Fallen uh, angels, we hear that term. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and so we know the reason why Nephilim were translated to giants in some English translations is because... In Numbers, when Joshua sends spies into the Promised Land, or Moses sends spies into the Promised Land, they say, we saw the Nephilim, and we were like grasshoppers among them. Right. Like, oh, they're so big. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is the hinge point. So we've, we've watched because God... Because things are going to get really bad. Things are going to get really bad. We've watched God order a non-ordered world. Mm-hmm. He's set two people within the temple to care for it and to continue bringing order to the non-order the humans listen to a non-ordered being and therefore bring in disorder to the world Um, the temple I guess is corrupted and so they have to be cast out of the temple and hey yes But the, the temple's corrupted. Sorry, yeah. we had to sign off for a second. Yeah. So the, the temple's corrupted. They can't be in there anymore. And so humans now are acting autonomously, but God does not want them to have eternal life, and which is a mercy because if we think that things are bad in this story, how mad would it be if they were immortal? Yeah. It's kind of like that same mercy that we see in the Garden of Eden where it's like, okay, the tree of life is off limits now because mm-hmm. of the state that you're in. Yes. So they get cast out of the garden. Cherubim are guarding the temple. They can't get back in. The ground is going to be harder for Adam to work on. Eve is going to um, have pain and laborious childbirth. Um, there's going to be animosity between hum- like human relationships. They're going to want to dominate each other instead of working as co-humans. Um, so they have sons who both take up part of their father's role um, and in their worship one is sincere the other one is not whatever that means about favor of Yahweh coming after that Cain is angry God says why are you angry um, you can control this um, God says that you can have power over this, and then um, hmm. Cain gives in to this sinful predator who overtakes him, and he kills his brother. And we see this sin kind of like rise and its ominous presence. It gets worse and worse. Cain gets cast out of where he is, starts a city, and his descendants become super violent, um, culminating in Lamech, who um, brags about killing somebody. 
um, and he takes wives as property, and his sons become um, those who start music and those who start metalworking and those who really have organized shepherding. But then there's a glimmer of hope in Seth, and then we watch through Seth's line, um, culminating in Noah. By the time we get to Noah, we're seeing that there's the world is populated by many humans, and there's a lot of wickedness. There is there's rebellion of supernatural beings. There's rebellion of humans, um, and things just look dire. Things look lost, and yet the thing that we need to keep in mind as we go forward with this is that God's plan is still being put in action, and God's plan is not being derailed. God is taking things that are bad, and still, just like in the Genesis 1 narrative, he's taking this chaos and this disorder, and he's weaving it into order again. And I think that's what we need to keep thinking about as we go forward. Hitting the home stretch. How are you feeling, David? Overwhelmed? Oh, man, yeah. I feel like we covered a lot. Because um, it's like these few chapters that, that, that we read are a lot of like very little short, you know, stories. Like, not even stories, really. You know, just, like, little sentences about a person. Little but, packs of dynamite. Yeah, and then it's like, <laughs> wait, what the heck is going on here? And there's so much to unpack. Um, but Jewish feel, meditation literature, man. I love it. And it's, it's the kind of thing where um, it's great to do it in this format where we just, like, talk about it and go through it. But these are stories or, you know, texts that were meant to be consumed over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to encourage anybody listening to go and sit with these. Yeah. And maybe we'll... Uh... Maybe we should make a website so people can like leave comments and yeah, interact a little bit. Um, I don't know. It'd be fun. We just want to build a community of people who are interested in the Bible and want to talk about it. And, yeah, for sure. Um, learn how to articulate because neither of us used to be good at that. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I'm like wanting to do better at. It's like being able to like, articulate the thoughts that I have uh-huh. about this stuff. And just to see, like, this stuff's not boring, and, like, you don't have to give, like, a like a, a non-answer to stuff. Like, you can deal with... That's right. Two separate ideas of what could this mean, and run with both of them, and be like, we still don't know, but it's, it's interesting and, like, thought-provoking, and maybe that's what God intended. Yeah, I think so. Awesome. So, anything you want to say to the, the folks out there, David? Oh, I just want to say I love you guys. Love everybody. This is, a uh, New Year, I feel good. Awesome, and um, I, I love this project that we're doing. Yeah, man, um, I'm excited. Thank you so much for all the work you put into like the notes and stuff. Oh, shush. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about what we're doing. Awesome. Well, uh, next time we're gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be at Disney World all next week, so it might be another lull period That's before right. you uh, called them and you rented out the park for a week. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, no, Young Life's got a staff um, staff 80-year anniversary celebration. So I'll be on for a week, but when we come back, we'll be talking about the flood. Dun, dun, dun. Let's go ahead and just real quick, give it a minute. What kind of things do you think we might talk about? Um, flood narrative. Okay, well, well of course, we're going to talk about... 
flood narratives in general because mm-hmm. there's multiple of them yep. uh, amongst different cultures. So we'll probably talk about some of the more popular ones and maybe maybe we'll find some more obscure ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll talk about that. I'm sure we will talk about some of the symbols we find in there, like the types of birds that Noah uses. I feel mm-hmm. like there's some symbols. Maybe. There. I haven't done my research yet. So, yeah. Well, what do you think we'll talk about? I think we'll talk about just the the nature of the flood itself. Like, did, did the author mean flood of the known world? Or, because remember, we got to keep cosmology in mind. Of right. Like, the dome was filled up with water in their viewpoint. Right. Or was our entire space rock covered in water from our viewpoint? Right, right, right. So, world meaning their world, world meaning the entire Earth globe that they had no concept of. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. Cool. But a lot of good stuff in there. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's yeah. a good story. So, uh, yeah. Follow Jesus. Tell someone you love him today. Yeah. Um, Bring this up at a dinner party. You'll be cool. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Key one, get invited to a dinner party. Yeah, get like us. <laughs> With our dinner parties for each other. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait till we have another one at your place. Hey, to make some good tacos. Uh, I mean, they're okay. No, they're amazing. The salsa? Oh. This reminds me, when I get home today, I need to make you some. Yes, we don't do our thing over the break. No. Anyway, Hayden signing out. <laughs> David signing out. Bye.